This is the podcast for Woodland Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee. We are maturing God's people to serve a hurting world. We hope you enjoy the message, and if you'd like to learn more about our church, look us up at woodlandpres.org. Thanks so much. May the Lord bless you. Uh, so this is the, the culmination of a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to talk about Jesus' final words of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this comes out of, a, so far this year, we looked at the, the churches in Revelation, and we kind of looked at the brutal facts of where the church in America is and how they both reflect uh, and uh, represent the churches that appeared in the, in the book of Revelation, the struggles that the church has. But we also have been talking a lot about how God is using the church in this day and this age to be uh, a lamp and a light, a cornerstone, and those things that represent Jesus to the world. And, and God calls us to be part of what he's doing. And so we transition from Revelation, and we're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, because this is Jesus' message to us as to how we're called to live in light of what he's done. We're going to be citizens in this world. It is changing world, right? Uh, we don't sense and have quite the, the economic challenge and calamity that's going on in Lebanon, but we realize that some of the important institutions of our culture, of our economy, our uh, inequality, all the issues that we face as a people in America, those things really are opportunities for us to see how does God want to use us as his people in the world, to represent Jesus Christ, to be his citizens, to be his followers everywhere we are. And we have a great opportunity by just simply saying to someone who needs healing, how can I pray for you? And being willing to pray for that person and seeing God do a miracle in their life. What a gift and a pleasure that is. And it's not because Amanda is a missionary that God used her that way. It's because she's a follower of Jesus. And he can use each and every one of you in the very same way. Will he every time? Not necessarily. But he can if we make ourselves available say, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to point other people to you. Each one of you are being equipped and are called to that ministry. And so that's why we're reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount here. So we're going to be looking at the last uh, the last section here um, in John Jesus. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. If you're able, please stand with me for the end Sounds different when you're in a chair than a pew, doesn't it? Hey, but it's cool in here. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The word of God for the people of God. Well, I have probably three uh, three favorite children's books that I love to read to my kids. The first one was Good Night Moon. Uh, in the great green room, there's a telephone and a picture of a cow jumping over the moon. Good night, man. I love that one. You always, every week, always, where's the mouse? Where's the mouse? You see the mouse? 
I love the mouse, and I also love boxing socks. Yes, sir. It's a purple beetle, beetle battle. Beetle battle, beetle, and another beetle battle. Battle on beetle, and battle on the bottle. Called a puddle, 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 puddle. Something like that. That's a tongue twister. I love to read that to the kids at school. I sometimes will do that. Uh, but the other one that I love is the three little pigs. Right? You got the first two pigs. One builds his house with straw, and then he does a jig. I love a little a pig that's doing a jig. Right? This is a fun picture that you have in your mind. And none of the pigs in the story have pants on, which makes it even more funny. So you got one building his house with straw. One builds his house with sticks, and they've got time to dance around. But the third little pig was a sober little pig, right? Because he built his house with what? Bricks. With bricks, that's right. Now, he didn't have the same amount of time to dance and play, but he did build his house with bricks. And what happens? There's a wolf, a baby, bam, whoa, I'll huff, and I'll huff, and I'll blow your house in, right? And he blows the house of the straw, of the sticks, and the little brothers. I think there's an old story where they get, actually get eaten up. In our newer versions, we don't, they don't get eaten up. That probably would be a better, more scary version. But they all run to the older brother's house, and there they are, safe, because he had taken the time to build his house of bricks. And you know, maybe you don't know, but if you're going to have a house that's going to stand the test of time, or if you're going to build a building that's going to last through all the challenges that the earth brings, you've got to build your house with bricks. Right? So when we lived in New York, we had the chance to go to, uh, to Ground Zero, uh, where the Twin Towers were, and they were going to build the new Freedom Tower. And the thing that struck me when I was there, there's a lot of things that struck me when I was there, but one of the realities was I realized the depth of the foundation it was five stories into the ground. If you're going to build a building that tall, it's going to last. It's got to have a really strong foundation that goes all the way down into the ground. And I think the, those metaphors of houses made of bricks and skyscrapers built with strong foundations speak to what Jesus is sharing with us when he compares the wise man and the foolish man in this text. What is your life built on? When you think about what your life is built on, what is your life built on? Jesus in this story is acknowledging that there are going to be storms that come. And every one of us who's been alive for any length of time recognizes that there are storms that come across the landscape and there are storms that come into our lives. There are challenges that we face due to unforeseen circumstances, things that we're not ready for. These storms are going to come. And the question is, have we done the preparation so that we were ready when the storm comes? Jesus gives us this example. He shares these two men. First we see the wise man who builds his house upon the rock. And then we have the foolish man who builds his house upon the sand. Now the people who were listening to Jesus speak had no con conception of a skyscraper. They had never seen a building so big, but they certainly knew the difference between building your house on the shifting sands and building a house on something that's... ...their wives and they study. And even the other day, our teammate Greg, he was just saying hi to these guys. ...solid and unmoving. They would have understood that a solid foundation gives a house much more strength, much more durability. So a house that's built on the sand 
when the rain and the wind and the floods come, can be blown down, right? Jesus says the great was the fall of it. So when I grew up in Florida, we would have sinkholes uh, because of water tables and water pressure. Uh, and a sinkhole is just a, basically a hole in the ground that comes when something happens with the water table and it releases underneath. And there's a there's a sinkhole monster in the city of Winter Park when I was growing up. It ate five Porsches. Porsches, the car. It was right at a dealership and they sank down in the sinkhole and they're gone. They're down in there somewhere. If you can get them out, you can have them. <laughs> They just swallow them up, or right? you made a, a sandcastle at the beach, right? We realize that the ground is that we're on, we think it's stable and solid, but it may not necessarily be. So the question for us as we're thinking about our life is what is your life built on? Is your life built on a firm foundation, or is it built upon the sand? What does it mean for us to build our lives on the rock? The first part of the verse says that whoever hears these words of mine and does them, what does Jesus mean when he says, here's these words of mine? What do you think he's talking about uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? Probably the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. He's been giving his people these instructions, the constitution of the kingdom, these uh, revelations about what it means to live in the kingdom. He's been sharing this whole thing. And he says, if you've heard these words, not just these words that we read this morning, but all these other words that we've been studying the last uh, couple of months, all of these words Jesus is saying, if you hear these words of mine and do them, hear these words of mine and do them. It's not enough for us to simply hear the words. When we're living in the kingdom, right? When we, just to remind us that we're talking about uh, the, the challenges that Jesus uh, gives us about how to live without anxiety. How to live in relationships with forgiveness. How to work through uh, the pain of uh, divorce. How to go back even farther to look at the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who are merciful. Jesus gives us these instructions about how we're called to live. Fasting, prayer, walking. Jesus gives us these instructions. He's given us a way of life. And everything is in light of what he's already done. Jesus accomplishes our salvation on the cross. Right? We can't earn our relationship with God. We're not doing anything to get right with God. God has made us right. And then as a response to that, then we're called to live in obedience to him. So what does he mean when he says whoever hears these words? Does he mean the person who receives the sound into their ear? Does he mean the people who heard the words shared by the pastor in the worship service in the old sanctuary? That they just heard the words. Or is it more? understand and know that we've heard what Jesus said, we've got to actually take action. We really need to obey the words of Jesus. See, the difference between the wise man and the foolish man is that the wise man built his house upon the rock. So what is Jesus saying? Make sure you build your house upon the rock. Jesus is giving us construction advice. How many of you have a house built on a rock? Anyone? A rock? Have you been down below? Maybe. But most of us probably build our house on sand. Right? So Jesus is not really interested in saying, here's the construction advice for Memphis. Right? He's saying, build your house on something firm. 
Right? Build your house on a good, solid foundation. Now, I'm not saying for you to go out and question the builder of your home and sell your house because it's not actually on a rock. That you have to move to Stone Mountain, Georgia, to be able to do that because they have some big stone there. You can build a house on that. Jesus is not giving us construction advice. He's giving us advice on how to live in the kingdom. He's giving us a revelation about how to hear and apply his word. Because remember this, both the man who was wise and the man who was foolish heard what Jesus said. Right? The wise man heard what he said, and the foolish man heard what he said. But what's the difference? The wise man obeyed what Jesus said. And the foolish man heard what he said, but he didn't obey. Right? Jesus is not just concerned with the audible sounds coming into our inner ear and registering that the noise has been communicated. Did you know that the word for obey comes from a Latin word? Obediere. It may be a mispronunciation. Wait, see where you can correct me on that? Close enough? Ob, please correct me if I'm wrong, can mean toward. And odire, which is very close to audiere, which means to hear. Toward hearing. There's a close connection between hearing and obeying. And sometimes we think from a Western mindset, well, hearing just means getting the sounds in. But in this context, in this culture, hearing and obeying were connected. If you heard something and you believed it, then you did it. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who stares into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So why is it that we listen but don't obey. Why is it that people hear the word and say, hey, build your house on a good foundation? And why do they not do that? Maybe it's just because it's just easier to start building your house. You're like the first two little pigs. You want to dance and do a jig? You want to, hey, let's have a party. I'm going to make a house with some straw that I just found out back. You don't want to go through the extra time and the hassle of digging down and doing a foundation or making the bricks and the extra work that is required. Rock is hard and immovable, and you got to connect the rock to the house, and that's not easier. It's just easier to just do it the quick way. Just do it the fast way. But the first two little pigs, even though they had time to do a dance and a jig, their flimsy little houses did not protect them when the storm that was the wolf came knocking at the door. See, there's a sense that for us, that what it means to be a good Christian is to join a church and go to a worship service, give some money, serve when it's our time to serve, and just don't cause too many waves. That's, that's being a good Christian in the world we live in today. But what's fascinating to me is that all throughout the Bible, there are all these commands that Jesus gives us. This summer, for us, we're looking at different one another statements that appear in the New Testament. There's 59 one another statements. Love one another. Forgive one another. Admonish one another. There's, it says love one another repeatedly. Why? Because we need to be reminded about how to love one another. You can be a good Christian in this certain 
definition and never actually obey anything that Jesus commands. You're not functionally living in relationship with other people and forgiving. You're not admonishing. What does it mean to admonish? It means to, to challenge someone's way of life in a loving way. As you say, hey brother, let me talk to you about this. That's admonishment. That's a command that Jesus gives us. We have to do it in the right way. We have to be very humble. We need to be ready to receive admonishment. But if we're just going to church and we're just giving some money, we're not really actually living the kind of life that Jesus wants us to live. Now, all these other things are a part of it. Coming to worship is a great thing. Giving of your resources is a a command. It's an important aspect of it. But I want you to think about what does it look like for you and for your family to say, we want to obey the commands that Jesus has called us to obey because of what Jesus has done. What does it look like for us? And here's the challenge of it. It's a lot easier to be a good Christian by this definition than it is to obey the commands of Jesus. Because we're in my family talking about how do we love one another. And when I sat down at the table, you know, the, the, the father of the family this week, it was, it was little peace with one another. Children, dear wife, let us live with peace together in this home. Let me, let me live out my life with peace. And then about 10 minutes later, I was irritated with something. And Brandy said, don't you remember you said live in peace with one another? I said, oh, right. I'm not living in peace in my own family. It's a lot easier to be a, quote, good Christian than it is to seek out living at peace with one another. It's, it's a challenging thing to do. And yet, this is what God wants for us because he wants me to see, you know, just because you sit there at the table and read the Bible doesn't mean that you're really connected to me. You really need me, Matt. You need me so badly that you have to trust me for every moment. When you feel irritated, when what you want isn't happening, you need to slow it down and be humble and to listen so that you can obey. And friends, I need this more than any of you. I can tell you that because I look myself in the mirror and I go, whoa, man, lots of work needs to be done. But the good news is that Jesus loves me He's forgiven me, and hopefully my family will forgive me too. And we live in community. We live in relationship with one another. It's hard to do. It's like going to the Olympics, right? You don't just say, um, the people love to say, oh, you're a pastor, you only work one hour a week. And I say, you know, I want you St. Bull's job. He only works 10 seconds every four years. Are you with me? Right? He works a lot more than that. But you can't go to the Olympics without putting the work in. Ryan Lochte said in a a commercial, luck doesn't get you to the Olympics. You can't wish it, you can't buy it, or hope for it. It's not enough to dream about it. Luck didn't get me to the Olympics. I swam here. He had to put in the hard work. And as disciples of Jesus, it is the hard work. And I think sometimes we are so consumed with grace, which is a wonderful, glorious, beautiful thing that motivates us to obey, that we sometimes say, well, I don't have to really do these things. Because, you know, Jesus loves me just as I am. And he does. There's no doubt about it. We are willing to say, that's not important to me. Right? Who's the person in your family that needs to experience forgiveness from you? Who's the person that you're in a relationship right now and you have conflict with that you need to go and say, I love you. I know we have this conflict, but I want to share with you my fault, what I did wrong in this argument. We all have people like that in our family and our lives. And what Jesus is calling us to live, if we're going to live in the kingdom, is to engage in those actions. Yeah, be a good Christian, but live out the commands 
of Jesus because it's hard and it's hard to do. And here's the thing, our culture is not telling us to do this. Right? Our culture is saying, be angry and just spout off and say whatever you want to say. Do insults, but don't walk to difficult uh, conversations. But here's what he says. What James said, be a doer of the word and not just a hearer of the word. Whoever looks into the perfect law, which he calls the law of liberty, and perseveres will be blessed. There's a blessing for us if we persevere in obeying the law. We look into the law of liberty. Think about that, right? The law of liberty. It sounds like a it's a conundrum, because right? normally we think, oh, the law is restrictive. The law is something that I have to do. But when we look into the perfect law, we realize our own imperfection, and that moves us to be thankful to Jesus for what he's done for us. And then we're able then to live out the commands that he's given to us because we realize what Jesus has done to make us right with him. Right? When I feel like I don't want to forgive a person who has hurt me or slighted me or whatever, I realize, well, you know, Jesus has forgiven me way much more. There have been many times when I haven't obeyed God and I haven't done what he wants me to do. And he loves me. He's always there to receive me and to restore me and to, to be close to me. God's never like, okay, well, yeah, just, you know, maybe later tomorrow, because I'm just not, I'm working with you. No, God always receives me and welcomes me back. And so in that light, in light of what God has done for me, I should then be forgiven. I should be, that doesn't mean that you don't work through the conflict and say, here's the issue, but we forgive. And that gives us a standing to be able to, to work in relationships. The, the challenge is, is that when we don't obey God's law, we end up in prison. Right? We think, oh, I want to be free, so I want to throw off the law. But you actually end up in prison if you don't obey the law. So, for example, with your finances, with your money. If you don't obey God's law with your money, then you're going to be enslaved to your money. You're going to be thinking all the time, well, how do I get more money? Or how do I save enough money for the rainy days, the storm coming, so I better get a big giant pile? consumed with it. Or if you have so much stuff, you have all these things, you're thinking about those things all the time, it's on your mind, what am I going to do about this? How do I take care of this? It's all consumed. But if you see your money as something that God has entrusted to you and you're able to release a portion of it to his work, then you can say, you know, none of this is really mine and I can continue to be generous because God is always going to provide for me. And you see that as, as a gift, you're set free from the burden of your money. fail to forgive people, what happens? You become embittered. You become angry. And here's what's hard. Have you ever met a person who is bitter and angry at the end of their life? I've met people who are just really difficult to be around. They complain all the time. They're always on edge. They're never hopeful or happy. How do you get to that point? And then you, you meet other people who've been through so much tragedy and loss and they're so full of joy. And part of it is forgiveness. Part of it is trusting the sovereignty of God and saying, you know, even though difficult things have happened in my life, I'm not angry with God. I'm not angry with others. Because I can actually have it much worse. They say, the Lord has blessed me in so many beautiful ways. Because if you forgive and let go of that pain, then it's not going to burden you and carry you down. I was, I, when I was a guy, college, I listened to a lady give a talk about forgiveness, and she pulled up a uh, dog leash with a collar, and she said, if you don't forgive people, you're putting this collar around your neck, and you're letting someone else drag you around on a leash. And most of the time, they don't even know it. And that really spoke to me. 
Who in my life have I not forgiven? I need to let go of the hurt. Now that doesn't mean that what they did was wasn't wrong, but who do I need to forgive? I say, Lord, let let you deal with it. What a great thing. Because you're set free. You're out of prison. To get out of jail free card. What an awesome, awesome thing. So Jesus is saying to us, we need to obey these things because guess what happens when, when you and I in your families, when husbands and wives and moms and dads and grandparents and cousins and co-workers live out the kingdom values, then we become the kind of community that people want to be a part of. We become the kind of organization that says, this is a family. Yeah, there's issues in every family, but they're loving each other. They're serving one another. What a blessing. We're demonstrating to the world the kind of character that Jesus would have us to demonstrate. And that's a compelling witness to the world. Simply showing up for a service is not a questionable activity. No one comes to you in the office on Monday and says, Well, you went to church on Sunday? What was that like? Tell me about that. How did it go? Did they have music? How was it? Preaching? Mm, okay. <laughs> right? But when you forgive someone in the office,